throughout uh, this message series, which is called The True Gospel, um, by the way, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to this group of people, this group of churches, uh, this, these churches that he started just recently, right? And there's two concerns, basically, that, that Paul has throughout this, we've seen throughout this letter, through these six chapters. The first is a doctrinal one, right? Faith alone. You have these people infiltrating the church that were like, you know what, Jesus and all that, that's great. But you also need to be religious. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to eat kosher. You also need to do good works for God to accept you. And now that's not the gospel, right? The gospel is God in his grace and in his love sent Christ to pay the price for us. And we'll get into that as we go through this message. But that's the first thing he's been hammering on because he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, he said, right? Uh, in Philippians, he said, I was the most religious. And I, what I realized is that's all garbage compared to knowing Jesus, to knowing life through Christ. So he's addressing that throughout. Uh, and then also the second thing that he's addressing is unity among these Christians, among these believers, and the way that they treat one another, the way that they live among one another, and even if they have disagreements, the way that they go about that. Um, and so the doctrinal issue we saw uh, in chapter 3, verse 11, he said, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, right? The righteous shall live by faith. He's saying it's about faith. And then in chapter 5, we see him addressing these relationships, this unity uh, with one another and their neighbors. In chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So here in this final chapter, Paul brings these together. He fuses these things together. And last week we were in chapter 5 and we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Um, and the, as we got to the end, the last verse of chapter 5, a lot of commentators feel like it fits best right at the beginning of chapter 6, although it's not there. Um, but I want to read that just uh, for a moment, the last verse of chapter, uh, chapter 5 before we get to chapter 6. Paul said, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, at the very end of chapter 5, Paul is calling for unity. He's calling for uh, service for one another. But he's calling for a particular type of life, right? A particular type of relationship. And what he's addressing is their heart condition. Just that one verse, before we get into the meat of this message and of this chapter, that one uh, verse right there, the word for conceited, is actually in the Greek, kenodoxo, it's called. It's, it's pronounced. And what it means is, the original word there really means at its core to go, it goes beyond our English translation of it. It's, a, it's not a good, I mean, it's a good translation, but it doesn't communicate to you and I because of our culture what it really is talking about, though, that word for conceited means vain glory or empty glory. Theologian F.F. F. Bruce says, empty of glory means you are desperate for affirmation and recognition. Desperation to prove yourself. That's what he's saying with that conceit. It's like pursuing vain glory, empty glory. That's what's most important to me. And see, the issue that we all have built into us we were created with a need, and that need is to hear God Almighty say to us, 
Well done, good and faithful servant. Affirmation, love from our Heavenly Father, right? But the problem is we're looking to fill and to get that affirmation, that recognition in other places. And in this, this church, they were looking to get it from being pious and be like, you're the most religious. Wow, you do all the, the most religious stuff. And he's saying that conceit, that pursuit of glory is sin. And for you and I, we, we have that same inclination without God at the head of our lives. We have that inclination to seek for affirmation in relationships. And, and we look, you know, when we build friendships or we build uh, other, other kind of relationships or look for partners in life, we're looking for how can I profit from this person? Even friendships. What are you going to give to me? How can you bolster my fragile self-esteem at your expense? Actually, is what I'm saying, because it's incomplete. What, what that drive really is, it's a God drive. And yet we try to find it in one another and we just can't. And so our default is to really use one another. So that word conceit, but also he says provoking. That, that word means to compete with one another. And then he says envying one another. And that's the inferiority complex that we have. We start to envy one another. He's talking about a church here. And he's talking about these people. He's saying, don't be that way. He's starting to see signs of it. He's like, don't, don't look for your own glory. Don't, don't compete with one another. Don't have these inferiority complexes about yourself. And so you, what happens is you begin to use other people. He's saying that shouldn't be in the church for sure. It shouldn't be in the world as well, but that's what we see. And so Paul, in this context of chapter 5 and chapter 6, he's talking about walking in the Spirit, right? We saw the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, all those things. Um, and so what he's talking about here in chapter 6, he turns the corner a little bit. And I want us to look beginning, actually, I'm going to read verse 26 again of chapter 5 and then, and, and then begin reading chapter 6 because I think they go so well here. And what Paul is doing, he's putting some meat on the bones. All that religious talk in chapter 5, he's starting to put some real meat on the bones here. And he says in verse 26 of chapter 5, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then in verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Verse 11, he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand? It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. That's the end of the letter. Let's pray. God, speak this morning. Lord, I don't have anything clever or smart enough to say that will make an eternal difference in anyone this morning. But, but you see the heart of every one of us, the depths of our hearts and and minds. And you know those places that we have closed off to you, God. God, open those today. May we hear you speaking to us personally. And may we respond in Christ's name. Amen. So often you'll hear um, discussions about the Holy Spirit. You know, we talked about walking in the Spirit uh, last week and the fruit of the Spirit. And it's often very me-centered, Right? We talk about the moves of the Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit in our worship services? And, oh, wow, did you go to that service? You know, you felt the Spirit. You know, we sense the Spirit. And though we talked about this um, last time, that happens. The Holy Spirit does move in our worship service. The Holy Spirit moves all the time. The Holy Spirit is doing some heavy lifting within you and within me. He's making some changes. We talked about that last week. Changing my desires, right? He's working in me and through me and with me. But when it comes to living out the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a gift to you and to me for others. So the title of the message today is Practically Spiritual. What does that mean? That means we talk about these spiritual things. We talk about these heavenly things. What does that mean in the way that I live? What does that mean in my relationships with other people? Listen, this is the truth. You are the answer to someone's prayers this morning. The gift of the Holy Spirit in you is working to touch other people's lives, is working to minister to other people. I know that's kind of mind-blowing because we want to think of like, no, the Spirit is for me and He's doing things in me. Yes, He's working, but He's working through you to touch other people. And so Paul turns the corner here in chapter 6 and he says, listen, this is how you live. Instead of being conceited, instead of provoking one another and envious, this is the way to live. To walk in the Spirit is to be, and I'm only going to do these in the order in which Paul mentions them, but first is, I think I made up a word here. I told my small group the other day. Other word. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Other word. So it's like outward, right? But it's people-oriented. You know what I'm saying? It's otherward. We're going to talk about it. Um, We're to live otherward. The Christian life is no longer about you. When we come to Jesus, we talk about this. When I come to Christ, my whole desire, my whole, my whole paradigm for life shifts. It's not, it's not any longer just about me. First of all, it's about God, my relationship with Him. But also it's about others, how God would work through me to touch other people's lives. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? You know, and everybody's ears perked up. Well, this is it. 
Jesus said, would all the prophets, all the scripture, everything written throughout the Bible, everything, what it's all about is, number one, to love the Lord your God with everything. And number two, love your neighbor. And so we see these two relationships. And this is the love your neighbor aspect of that. He says there in verse one, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Let's dig through this a little bit. That word caught, that means someone who's constantly getting in their own way. They're constantly getting themselves in trouble, right? Maybe always putting their foot in their mouths. It's not necessarily about doctrine. It's not necessarily about theological things. You know, we talked about last week, that person that trouble follows them around. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're one of those people. And you're like, I don't know, what, what is wrong with everyone? I have issues with everybody. Well, maybe it's you. Um, maybe it's me. But this word for caught or overtaken is not this uh, doctrinal attack like those legalists that were in the church of Galatia. It's more like the struggles of our flesh that we all deal with. Right? We all have this at some point. And maybe it's my personality comes across harshly. Maybe it's, it's I'm not, you know, ways that I talk to people or, or, or whatever. It's not just limited. He's not saying you're caught in some addiction like drugs or alcohol, which it could be any of those things. But what he's talking about here is that someone's caught in some issue in their life and they need help. Now, this is somebody that you and I would typically avoid, right? Somebody who would actually probably aggravate me most of the time. Right? They have issues, they have problems all the time, but it's their own doing. It follows them around because of how they are. And see, if I'm vainglorious, if I'm out for my own glory, I would say, hey, I'm just going to limit my contact with them. You, you stay away from me, I'll stay away from you. They're going to hurt me, and so I've got to protect myself. No one wants to get caught in a black hole with this person, right? Because their, their lives are a wreck. Or their personalities just don't jive with mine. The problem is, this is us all at some point. This is the messiness of walking as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the, me- the, the, the messiness of that. The difficulty of being in a family. It's not for wimps. You notice he said, especially to those of the house of faith. He wasn't saying, hey, just however you want to act to your neighbors is fine, but especially among you, be nice to each other and then, you know, be mean to the people. No, he's saying, if you can't do it with brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a lie that you're trying to do it with your neighbor. You're trying to love your neighbor. That, that's not true. My instinct is to protect myself. That's my flesh. And he says at the beginning, you who are spiritual... He's not saying you who are pious, you who, are, you who have it all together. No, he's saying you who have the Holy Spirit living in your life, you, have, you, you believers who are walking in the Spirit, this is how you should act. You should, you should restore those people. This Greek word meaning to repair or mend, not bailing, not avoiding one another. This is not restoration. See, sometimes... We can handle it a little more if it's like you and I have an issue, and so you know what? I'm gonna be the bigger person. I'm gonna no, it's they're caught in something. They're they're hurting. They're even in sin and transgression. It's saying, seek to restore them. Be that kind of person. 
Be that kind of brother or sister. This word was used in the secular Greek terminology as a medical term for setting a fractured or dislocated bone. And it's also used in Mark 1.19 with the apostles who were mending their nets, the same word of restoration, mending their nets. The job of restoration is, is often neglected in the church, right? It is. We eat our young sometimes. We have a tendency to either pretend the sin never happened or, or the offense never happened, or we react too harshly towards the one who has sinned or who has offended because it is affecting me personally. The balance of those two things is only what the Holy Spirit can do. It's about restoring one another, loving one another, caring for one another. It should always be our goal, not judgment, not feeling better about myself because I'm not like that, or not even protecting my own reputation or my own, uh, about my own comfort in avoiding you. Listen, we all fall. We all need to be restored. It's part of the beauty of being a part of a community of believers is restoring one another, seeking to minister to one another. This is what Jesus did for us, right? This is the foundation of what Christ did for us. He took our issues on himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, Seek to restore one another. So how do we live this way? How do we, in a practical sense, how do we walk this way? Well, number one, we shift our focus. He said in verse 2, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, each of us are called to be attentive to the needs of one another. Now, this is not the way of the world. The world says, what do you do for me? What do you add to me? What do you add to my life? How do you help me achieve my dreams and my goals? What benefit are you to me? And that's our flesh. David Gidzik is a theologian. He wrote this in a pastor. He said, the focus isn't on expect others to bear your burdens. That is self-focused and always leads to pride, frustration, discouragement, and depression. Instead, God always directs us to be others-focused. Or other words, it's over and says, bear one another's burdens. Listen, let me ask you a couple real practical questions. Do you wait on Sunday morning when you get here, do you wait on others to speak to you? I bet we all do at some point. Depends on what mood I'm in. Do you walk away from church sometimes or small group or whatever saying, you know what, no one spoke to me. We're not very friendly. The truth is, oftentimes we're not. But that's not an excuse for me. One of my proudest moments as a dad, when I was pastor some years ago, I mean, I've had a lot of them, but I was meeting with the uh, youth pastor, and he told me, he said, man, I just want to tell you, your daughter, Sophie, I just, man, I just praise God for her because she is always looking for that new person. She's always looking for that person kind of sitting by themselves, you know? You know how it is. You get, it, we're all guilty of this. You get to a party, what do you do? You're looking for somebody to latch hold of. Let me act like I'm in a conversation. <laughs> and then maybe I'll upgrade if I can see somebody else and that I can get to, you know, without that awkwardness of standing there by myself. <laughs> we all have that. But he said, you know, Sophie's awesome because I see her. I'm watching the kids, and all of a sudden somebody will come in and kind of stand in the back, and she'll just go right over to him all the time. Praise God. 
I remember I took Max over here to Redeemer. I'm not talking bad about Redeemer. This is just all of us. And we walked in there the first night to the youth group. And I remember he, he and I just standing there and everybody just kind of passing us by. And I was like, see? <laughs> see, you need to be other focused. You have to be looking out. Nobody has spoken to us at all. So I said, you know, what do, what do we do there? Do I just mope out? I said, now you walk up. Hey, how you doing? Introduce yourself to somebody. Now you may say, well, that's just not my personality. Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So unless you're saying, listen, the only, the best thing I can do for you is not talk to you. Now there are people that I say, I see him talking to a new person. I'm like, oh no, please Lord. (laughs) I don't say the right thing. No, but we're called to be other word. We're called to be outwardly focused. Because our flesh, every single one of us, have days like this, and some of us have seasons like this. We fight this, and that is being inward. Tony and I were talking about this this morning. We were talking about uh, some health issues, you know, that, you know, as you get a little bit older, you start to go through. Me, not her, me, um, older part. Um, you start to focus on health a little bit, and then all of a sudden I, f- I catch myself every now and then. I'm obsessed with me. It's like what I think about all day is me. And am I having a heart attack? <laughs> Do I weigh the right thing? I mean, it's okay to be health conscious, but when it starts to take over my life, when I look at my life and say, you know what, I'm more me focused than I am outward focused, and, and I just find myself making excuses for it. Well, I need to be healthy for, my, for the church. They need me and this and that. You can, always, you can always make it legitimate in your own mind, but he's saying, Be outward focused. Look around. People are hurting. People need you and I, God working through us. Listen, if you're unhappy today, if you're going through a funk in your life where you're depressed maybe a little, I'm not not giving you a clinical diagnosis, but try something for me. Find somebody to serve in your life. It's not just about Sunday morning, of course. This is a microcosm. That's why Paul said, especially those of the faith. If you can't do it here with one another and in your relationships with one another, you're not going to do it out there. Find somebody to serve, and you'll find the more I get my eyes off myself, the more I step out. And listen, the more I'm not wired like that in my personality, the more I will see that it works because I really am stepping out in faith, asking God to move through me. We're not to see the church and others primarily as for my benefit. He says there, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is a jab at those legalists. In John 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. That's the law of Christ. As opposed to putting burdens on people, which these religious people, which the Pharisees love to do, we're to bear one another's burdens. So our focus, we shift our focus, and then we have a we pray for and try to garden a heart of humility. He says there in verse three, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. See what prevents this from happening, what makes me start to make excuses right away is pride. As, many, as much as anything, pride is self-focused, right? Pride doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily say, I'm better than you. Pride simply says, I'm more important than you, at least to myself. Paul says he deceives himself. There, there are few things more self-deceptive than pride. 
So we humble ourselves. We humble our our hearts. We realize that, you know what, I realize I'm a sinner. I know that I'm, I'm bent towards self-centeredness. But also vulnerability. That's what it takes to have a real relationship with somebody. If you come to church and leave church and you're part of a community like Neighborhood Church and you don't have real relationships with anybody, that's on you. I'm not saying everybody is friendly and everybody can... But we make ourselves vulnerable. Bear one another's burdens. He says, restore him. This is all the language of a relationship of someone, people helping one another, caring for one another, shifting our focus to others, humbling ourselves. Because also allowing ourselves to be helped. You know, pride and defensiveness can prevent people from receiving help when someone reaches out to share their burden. We keep up this kind of charade that I'm okay, you're okay. We're all okay. Have a great week. Good to see you. You ever see it in in church where um, a couple will disappear? Some people will disappear, a family or somebody will disappear. Like, where'd they go? And we just let them go. And then come to find out they got a divorce or they're having marital problems or there was something, something in their life that was tearing them apart and they didn't see the church as a place to come and to be vulnerable and to get help. They... They they had that front up. So part of it is on them, right? Put up this charade. But part of it is on us that they would feel that way and that we wouldn't pursue to bear their burdens. Any excuse that's coming to your head right now, just push it away, at least to the end of this message, okay? Because there's lots of them that come. He's calling us to be outwardly focused, other word. Our flesh is constantly trying to isolate our real selves, our issues, our struggles. We talked about this last week. If everybody in here knew who I was, if you knew what I was doing last night, or if you knew the mistakes I've made, if you knew this and that, listen, God knows. And so we ought to make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit to work in each other's lives, not to put up walls. And we do that when we are self-focused. When I'm like this, I want to protect myself. I want to manipulate every relationship, how you think about me, how you see me. And then kind of push you to the side if you don't really help me. But the Spirit of God is seeking to restore, seeking to move through you to restore others, those around you. And a real practical word here in verse 6 before I move on. He says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is just another example of generosity. Sometimes I was tempted just to skip over this, but... It's the attitude of us as a church, right? It's not necessarily about, I want you all, I mean, we'll have a basket back there. You can all make a donation to my family. No, it's not that. It is being generous. I mean, it's the literal uh, translation of that is be generous to the one who teaches. But what it is, is a generosity. It's a spirit of generosity. It's a spirit of outwardness that we have with everybody, with, with all of us. Just a quick a quick illustration, I remember a church I was at when I was in seminary and I was the worship pastor and I remember they were calling a youth pastor, right, a student pastor and I was walking with the guy who's the chairman of the committee that calls pastors and we're walking, I was like, any, have we prayed through anybody? Do we have anybody that we're looking at or talking to? He's like, oh yeah, there's this one guy, he's, he's a student at the seminary so he, we're going to get him for a steal. So it's going to be a great situation. I was like, oh, that just like, ugh, that just made me like, we're going to get him for a steal, 
Like, can you see where that's not a spirit of generosity? That's not a spirit of like ministering to this guy and his family and seeking. No, it's, it's, it's the world's mentality of what can I get for as little investment as possible. He says, have a generous, loving, outward attitude. And these legalists that had gotten into the church at Galatia were acting the exact opposite way. In verse 13, he said, They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. See, they didn't want to be persecuted by uh, the Jewish people at the time, the church and others. They didn't want to be persecuted because there were people among them that weren't circumcised. So they were all thinking about themselves. I want to protect myself. I want us to have a good reputation. They wanted to boast in their flesh. Like, yeah, we're we're all good. We're all... They sought to promote and protect themselves. Even religious things can be manipulative. And a lot of you have been hurt, have been broken in churches because you found that to be true. Listen, when we come to Christianity as just a self-help therapy, it always ends in that because it's all about me. He calls us to be other word. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Listen, this is what this looks like. If I esteem you above me and you esteem me above you, a marvelous thing happens, right? We have a community where everyone is looked up to and no one is looked down on because we consider one another better than ourselves. That is fulfilling the law of Christ. You talk about whatever religious stuff you want. If that's not the way that we see one another and serve one another and love one another, then we've got to check our theology. In verse 4, something that stuck out to me here before going to the next point is, he says, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each of us will have to bear his own load. Now, what is Paul saying here? Didn't he just say, listen, be in each other's business, bear one another's stuff? But there's a difference in the wording here. Paul uses the word for load in verse 5 was a a different word. It was a common word. Uh, It was a term for like a man's backpack. The word for burdens in verse 2 is a different word, meaning, meaning heavy burdens, unbearable burdens alone. Those that are more than one man can carry. So in the end, what he's saying, we're all responsible for our work, our faith, our walk. So what Paul is saying is, Don't do any of this in a judgmental or accusatory way because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So we're all going to have to stand before God and and give an answer for our holiness. And the only correct answer is my faith is in Jesus. Jesus paid for my holiness on the cross. But I am to carry one another's burdens. I am to carry your burden and you carry mine. That's how we live out this faith. I don't know if you remember at the end of the Gospels, Jesus is walking with Peter after the resurrection. And he basically is telling Peter, you know, you're going you're gonna to be uh, martyred, basically. You're going to have to give your life for your, for your faith and, you know, crucified, blah, blah, blah. I should never... Blah, 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 what Jesus says, right? Okay, crucified and hung on a cross upside down. And remember Peter's response? Peter looks over at John and goes, well, what about him? (laughs) Jesus says, don't worry about him. You follow me. And so when we're glory hounds, 
When we're seeking glory, we're, we're looking to justify ourselves. We'd rather talk about how someone else is so messed up. I'm protecting myself by casting judgment on others. When Jesus says, listen, you follow me, fix your eyes on me. It means being obedient to the Spirit and to my word when you restore one another. I heard a pastor uh, one time put it like this. He said, you know, we judge each other all the time. He's like, you know, and people annoy us or whatever, other Christians especially. He's like, but think about it like this. We all come from somewhere. We all were born into certain families. We were all born in certain circumstances, even families that look good on the outside. And so you may have been born into a family or your experience may, may have had you at like a three spiritually, right? And you come to Jesus and uh, after five years or 10 years, you're like a 3.5 now, right? And, and you're getting it spiritually walking with him. Well, someone else may not have the same experience that you have. They may have been a zero when they came to Jesus, right? Spiritually. And now after five years, they're like a 1.5. And you, you're thinking, well, I'm double you. That's what we tend to do. Like, come on. When actually they're, they're, moving, they're moving fairly quickly. The point is we can't, we can't add all that, those things up. Jesus is saying, fix your eyes on me and bear one another's burdens. Don't judge and try and weigh everything out and, and judge one another. Just put others before yourself. Be otherward. And that takes us to the next part, and that is be upward. And I know that's a word. Be upward, right? Other word and upward. This is the love God part. Jesus said, it's all about this. Love God and love one another. And, and this is the primary part. This is, that other part is the part the world would applaud. Someone, anybody walking up and down the street, Christian, non-Christian, whatever, they can say, yeah, serve each other, love each other. That's awesome. Good job. I don't know if I told you guys this story. I was on a, got on the bus one day, and the bus driver was like, I said, how's it going? It was just kind of him and I on the bus, he and I. I said, how's it going? He's like, I was a little frustrated. He goes, ah, man, you know, these young people today, they get on here, they throw stuff, they curse, they say all this stuff. They're terrible, man. A lot of this, you know, whatever happened to love your neighbor? It's like, awesome. Let's have that conversation. I said, yeah, whatever happened to love. I said, you know what I think what happens is we try to love our neighbor without loving God. When we try to just... Make this world a better place. I mean, you look at it. I've said this a hundred times, but nation after nation throughout history, we've tried it all the different ways. Let's be good. Let's have world peace, all these things. And we just go, we're still doing nosedive. Why is that? Because we leave God out of it. Listen, if you want to live this kind of life, if you want to be walking in the spirit and able to love those around you and carry one another's burdens, we have to be upward. We have to turn our eyes off of ourselves and not just on other people, but first and foremost, on Christ. He said there in verse 1, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work. And you might say, well, that seems awful inward. But it's not. What he's saying is make sure of your walk with Christ. Test. Keep watch. Over what? Over my walk with God. Over my walk with Jesus. This is how we can be empowered to do that other word or outward part. See, holiness, obedience is looking into the mirror of God, of God's word, and 
being obedient? Am I walking with Christ? Am I guarding myself from temptation? Am I spending time in prayer? Am I spending time in the Word? Am I surrounding myself with others who can help me? Am I being vulnerable, allowing other people to know my burdens and carry my burdens? He says, for if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself, right? Remember when Jesus called the disciples evil? He told them, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more does your Father in Heaven know how to give good gifts? Our default is evil. And so the first step in in being upward in our lives, fixing our eyes on Christ, is the gospel, right? Is saying, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I can't be good enough. I can't get rid of the guilt. I can't get rid of the shame. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in that same, we're all in that same group. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. God came to do something about that, to rescue from that self-centeredness, from that sinfulness. He's, he's, he's sent Jesus to take care of that. And so he's saying, put your faith in Christ. That's what he keeps telling these legalists. Quit trying to earn your way to heaven or to God to prove, you know what, I'm lovable, God. God called you lovable. That's why he sent Jesus. He's pursuing you. That's why you're here today. That's why the still small voice is whispering to you today because God continues to pursue you. We destroy our relationships, right? Even the people we claim to love because this is what we do. We expect our significant other or other friends or other people to fulfill what only God can fulfill in our lives. God created us to love him and to walk with him. And when we ignore him and shut him out of our lives and say, you know what, thanks a lot, but I got stuff to do. I got I to gotta work hard and get a good job, get retired, get a nice boat, and die. Seriously, that's what we're, that's what we're pursuing, right? We just want to be comfortable and maybe, maybe not get hell. That'd be great, but whatever. I'll, I'll worry about that later. No, God has so much more for your life to be, to be fulfilled, to bear others' burdens, to live in such a way. But it, it starts with restoring you to himself. And it's not about all the good works you can do. It's about faith. It's about saying, you know what? I don't trust in me earning it. I trust in God's love for me through sending Jesus. Thank you, God. Only Christ can satisfy that deep longing within us. And so Paul is saying, listen, we're all broken to a certain degree. And even as Christians, you know, we live, we live in a fallen world. We live in fallen bodies. So there's constant temptation. There's constant um, brokenness um, coming into our lives. And we have to fix our eyes on Christ. He says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The, this idea of sowing means to invest to pay attention to, to tend to in my life, right? So when I make myself the center of my world, I'm sowing into my flesh the things that I think I need, which is very limited based on my experiences, based on my pains and my hurts. But when the Spirit of God is moving in me, He helps me to see beyond that. And listen, I've been there. I lived many years pursuing the things of the flesh. All I wanted was... All I wanted was a nice truck and a boat. Seriously. And a good, you know, I wanted some, some good family. Just give me that and I'll be good. It was so limited and I never could find peace. I kept struggling. I'm going to get another, another job. I'm going to get another this, another that. And so it's all, that's where I was pursuing my, 
my value, my affirmation, my peace, and it would never come. And then when God got a hold of my life and I realized God is pursuing me, God is calling to me, he's running after me. And he's saying, I love, I love you already. You're already affirmed. Come to me. I have a plan for your life. I want to work through your life through my spirit that everything changed. So to know the spirit is to know the heart of Christ. To spend your life, listen, believer, spend time in the word of God. Spend time in prayer. There's no shortcut around that, you know. We read all kinds of great books. Not me, because I hate reading. But many people do. But get in the Word of God. That is, that is riches. I do read that. Spend time in prayer. God speaks through His Word over and over and over again. He wants to change us. And then He, he goes on through the rest of this and Listen, let me just encourage you. The life that's lived consumed, proving myself or trying to get my own affirmation is miserable. It's driven by finding my purpose and self-worth and validation in, in the things of the world and in people. And people always disappoint. I disappoint. But if you find yourself constantly being let down by others, being disappointed, easily annoyed by others, it may very well be that you are seeing people through the lens of you. And what we need is to see people through the lens of Jesus. 11 through 18 is just his final warning and benediction of this letter, a summary. He's saying those legalists are simply motivated by ungodly things, self-preservation, popularity, comfort. Those things destroy. And he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit. We all need grace. We need to live this life with grace. And so as I conclude um, this whole book, this whole letter, I just want to encourage you. God has made provision for your holiness. God has made provision for your righteousness. And it's Jesus. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to speak to you and, and lead you. He's a purpose for your life. Trust in Him. You don't have to be religious. But when you come to Christ, he changes things. He begins, his spirit begins to change how I see things, how I treat others, how, because I'm no longer just thinking about gratifying myself. I'm no longer envying and provoking one another. Because this is the thing. The very thing that causes you and I to reject God are the very things that keep us from having peace. It's that pride. It's that, nope, I don't need you. I got my own thing. I just want to share something as I close. I don't know. Did I put it over here? Did somebody take it? There was a card right here. Anybody get that? You threw it away? Thanks a lot. <laughs> That's it, man. I'm not bearing any of your burdens. Um, so this guy, uh, Alex and I were sitting, we were having a cup of coffee the other day, and these, these Jewish guys came, uh, Orthodox Jewish guys. And you know, they ask you if you're, you're Jewish. Anybody ever deal with that? And if you say yes, they, they give you the, the stuff and you say your prayers right there, right? They want to they wanna help you, lead you to say your prayers just right there on the street. If you say no, they usually walk away. Well, we said no, but then they gave us this card. And darn it, I don't remember what the card is called. <laughs> it was called the good card, I believe, the good card. And it has on it, this is your good credit card. And it says, when you see this card... It should remind you to be good to others, to be a good citizen. It's kind of like the, the, the man part of the Ten Commandments on the back of it. It said, if you will try to do these things, then we will find peace on earth and redemption in earth. 
Now, the problem with that, it sounds great, right? Oh, be a good citizen. The problem with that is that is what has separated us from God. We are trying to do this on our own, and we cannot. We got to trust God's word when he says that we cannot. All my righteousness is like rags. God calls us. He, wanted, he wants to restore you to himself, to change you from the inside out, right? And that's through Jesus and then he leads you in all these things. I told you the other week, I have a friend who was just like, I don't know, these Christians, you say you accept Jesus and then you can live any way you want. No, that's not it. If you see a Christian doing that, you have every reason to question whether or not they're a Christian because God's word says something different. His spirit produces different kinds of fruit in our lives. So let me encourage you today. Redemption is a gift from God and God wants to work through you. You are the answer to somebody else's prayer, prayers in this room in your neighborhood, in your building. Walk in the Spirit. Press in. Be upward in your focus and outward to those around you. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for your love and grace. Thank you, God, that this is all about you. This is all about your love for us, your your grace and your mercy. This is all about you calling us to yourself, God. And so I thank you for this letter to the Galatians that Paul wrote uh, all those years ago, God, and, and I, I know that he was writing to us as well this morning. Lord, that you are reminding us that your grace is sufficient for us. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, your grace is sufficient. And you continue to pursue us so that we might know you in a personal relationship. And God, in that relationship, your spirit moves in us to touch people around us. And so, God, may we be outward. Lord, when we hear a message like this or look into your word and we're convicted because we know that uh, we're not like that all the time, Lord, may we just press into you more and more because it's in our walk with you that we become more and more like that. It's not just some switch we flip. So Lord, may we spend more time with you this week and um, give us eyes to see the needs of those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.